Hello and welcome to Women in Audio, a podcast series brought to you by professional audio magazine ProSound News Europe. I'm Tara Lepore, ProSound staff writer, and in each episode I'll be joined by ProSound's editor Dan Gumbel to bring you interviews with some amazing women in the audio industry, in radio, broadcast and in the studio. Today we're joined by Anne Charles, who is a fantastic radio producer and broadcast engineer who worked at the BBC for 12 years. She's had an amazingly eclectic career, from teaching radio journalism in New Zealand to working on broadcast community projects in South Sudan. Anne describes herself as being the translator between the engineering techie people and the people who are actually using audio technology. We also spoke to her about getting more girls into STEM subjects from an earlier age and discuss some of the issues around being a freelancer in today's industry. If you enjoy this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and you can also follow us on Twitter at PSN Europe and visit our website psneurope.com. Thanks very much and we hope you enjoy it. So today we welcome radio producer and broadcast engineer Anne Charles. Hello Anne. Hello. How are you? Very good, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, So yes, um, if you could start by telling us a little bit about what you do and just briefly summing up. So this is the problem, I always joke, this is always the point where it sounds like, you know, just like your mum or your grandma going, what is it you do? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. Um, so, so at the moment, so I'm, I'm freelance now, I run my own company doing what I hope is non-wanky consultancy. Um, so my background is as a radio and online producer and then I became a broadcast engineer, which is a really weird and wonderful combination. And so I spend a lot of time helping companies and individuals um, just with anything sort of studio-based and workflow. So I often end up as being the translator between the engineering techie people and the people who are actually using it. Because you'll be astonished how many times people are developing a product or putting in a, a studio or a system. And the, the very techie folk kind of understand one set of information and the people who are going to use it understand another. And they don't quite overlap in the middle. So I'm usually that person who's the bridge in the middle, whether it's doing training or project management or advising people on their, what they're going to do. So, yeah, it's lots of fun. I get to hang out in lots of radio studios. Very nice. Um, and what, how did you kind of start out in the industry? What was your first role in radio? So I started out, like a lot of us do, the joke is you're always an old fart very young in radio because a lot of us start out in our teens. <laughs> so I started out volunteering on my local talking newspaper and then I started helping out at my local BBC radio station. What's a talking newspaper? Talking newspaper. So it's a free service for visually impaired people. Oh, really? And oh. you, well, and when I was starting out, you read articles from the local newspaper onto cassette tape, and now it would be onto USB, onto USB stick. You know, things mm-hmm. have advanced a lot. Because a lot of people uh, have sight issues when they're older. They haven't necessarily grown up being visually impaired. And so they might not necessarily use screen reading software. And of course, until very recently, you didn't have papers available online. So it's kind of a digest of local news and information, and you read it out. So it's a great starting point because you get to do, you know, learn sound engineering and editorial, and you get to learn reading, and I used to do little reports and things like that. So, yeah, it's a very good training ground. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then um, I did I did I did local and regional radio and TV. Then I went to national radio. So I was at BBC for twelve years. Um, I went to national radio and I was a children's radio specialist for a while. So I genuinely used to be paid to operate a farts machine for a living, um, which is brilliant. Uh, children's radio has always been one of my real passions. And then I then I started doing some techie stuff as well. And then I was at World Service for a while and doing production there and also a little bit of voiceover. So. My last day at World Service, I was voice of prostitute to 40 million people. And then, <laughs> and, then, uh, and then I did project management, so broadcast infrastructure project management. Wow, that's five awesome. years, which is a bit of a change, yeah. And then, then works, works internationally as well. So that's not very quick, summary. So. <laughs> so when did you decide that this was the, uh, the, the kind of path that you were going to pursue for your career? So I think radio chooses you. Okay. It's a, it's, it sounds terribly worthy, but it's a very vocational thing. So broadcast, um, when I was younger, I, I was sort of interested in being a nurse or a midwife and that kind of stuff. And, but then there was always this sort of thing nagging away uh, to do with radio and broadcast, and that sort of didn't go away. Um, so I tend to advise people who are starting out, if there's anything in the world that you can do that is not radio that might make you happy, do that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, if you, broadcast is just one of those things you just... You just know. <laughs> well, was was there a moment that that made you kind of go, okay, that's it, that's what I want to do? Was there a particular, I don't know, I radio station that you used to listen to that? Yeah, so you? I did. When I so I think the reason I ended up at the BBC was probably when I uh, when I was about six. Um, my my sister and I had been sharing a room, and then my sister got her own room, so I got the double upgrade of my own room and uh, a radio, and I was. You know, looking around the dial, uh, and suddenly I found this radio station, and they mentioned the town where I lived, and I was like, "Oh, they're, they're talking about somewhere I know. Wow, that our, our town is famous!" <laughs> and I didn't realise it was the reason they were mentioning it was because it's the local radio station, so that was their job. But um, you know, I was like, I thought it was amazing, so I, I was very hooked listening to that station. And you know, I think when, even when I was six, I wrote a letter to the presenter, and you know, he mentioned it on air, and that was incredible. So, <laughs> so yeah. What was the local town? Well, so I grew up in South Norfolk, so okay. it was it was BBC Radio Norfolk, and then funnily enough, I ended up working there. That was my first sort of paid paid job in radio. Was working for Radio Norfolk. So. so, how long were you working in local radio before? You, I guess did you start working in BBC in London? And no, so, so I st- I started oh, okay. working uh, at, at Radio Norfolk, and then did quite a lot of shifts for um, BBC Look East, and I also worked in Cambridgeshire as well. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that for. I had a, a, a long time of, of doing volunteering for the, the action desk, as they called it, and then I started picking up shifts. So I was there three or four years, and then I then I moved to working on national radio, and then I did world service. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then after I left the BBC, I then went and worked in New Zealand teaching journalism, and then I also spent quite, um, quite a, a lot of time in South Sudan training broadcast engineers and also radio producers. So, I don't know, it's kind of from, from rural Norfolk to a war zone, it's kind of like one of those, how did that happen yeah. <laughs> moments, but yeah, it's incredible, the opportunities you, you have are amazing. What can you tell us about the time that you spent in South Sudan, what, how did that come about, what did you, what did you do out there, what, what yeah. was it like? How did that come about, so I was, I just got back from my first in, in New Zealand and I bumped into a friend at a conference and he just happened to be working out there and was telling me what he was doing and then 
I said, oh, that sounds very interesting. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a phone call saying, well, this is really funny because he'd just been having a talk with the training manager and the training manager had said, what I really need is someone who's got a, who can train technology but has got a production background and they don't exist. And he said, yes, she does, and I know she's available. So two weeks later, I was in South Sudan for the first time. So, wow. yeah. So I did quite a lot of things out there. That, um, I did a lot of work with uh, a radio station that was going national, training their engineering team, um, just sort of doing some kind of management training stuff, really. Um, so they already managed to keep a station on air in really difficult conditions for a very long time, but it was just helping them to be able to explain more to their managers what they wanted and why they needed money and, mm-hmm. um, and that kind of stuff. So that was brilliant. And then I also did some things, some hands-on training with beginners in remote community stations, so local language stations that are in the middle of nowhere. One of them is actually in disputed territory between Sudan and South Sudan, so it's kind of officially not, not quite a country. It's quite interesting. And, um, and also some work at the University of Juba, developing some facilities there. So, yeah, really interesting, real, real privilege to be able to go and do that. Cool. And as you, so you've obviously got like loads of varied experience across lots of things, but as you've kind of taken these projects and jobs and stuff, have you found that the balance between female engineers and male engineers, how have you found that often you've been one of the only women? Or? So in technology jobs, yeah. So in production, I found it to be much more even, certainly wherever I've worked, it's been a much more even balance of, of men to women. Yeah. Um, not always in the opportunities they're getting, but yeah, there's been a much, much more, more even balance in in technology and in broadcast engineering because obviously I can do sound engineering, but I'm more on the broadcast engineering world and that's slightly different. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean that's that's very male dominated indeed. Um, well, they're all wonderful people. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, and um, certainly when I was doing the project management job, uh, we had a department of 150 and I was the most senior woman. Um, so there were about 10 women in that department and most, you know, there was, I think by the time I left there were a couple of assistant project managers. We did have a finance manager who was more senior than me for a short time and then quite a lot of project assistants and team assistants. But in terms of, in terms of that department, yeah, there was, there just aren't many women who were doing... Why do you think that work. might be? Oh, that's a big question. <laughs> so many reasons. Um, so I think it goes back to technology and engineering being something that there are so many reasons women don't sort of pick it up it goes back to to childhood really I think that I find that women I mean not all women obviously but a lot of women seem frightened of technology and engineering and so for some men but um yeah just just sort of worried that they're going to break something or get something wrong quite conscientious sometimes they don't even get a chance to have a go because there'll be a bloke who'll just be like, oh, I'll do it. And with those sort of things all coming together mean that it can be tricky for, for people to just sort of have a go and go, this is really cool, this is, this is really fun, and I'm quite good at it, actually. Because mm. it always seems like there's some mysterious thing that no-one's ever told you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and sometimes it's like, well, no, you know, <laughs> you sort of feel like you have to know absolutely everything before you can start. Yeah, you don't just get stuck in. And I think also with engineering, it sort of feels like this. people don't realise how broad a role it is and how many different kinds of engineer, even in broadcast engineering, there can be. So, of course, there are the people who've had the more classical training of uh, an electronic 
engineering degree or a physics degree or something like that or have come in on a formal training scheme. But there's absolutely room for people who've got more of a programme and production background as well to, to bring those skills and then develop more of the understanding of technology. And, and I think that's vital because we need, we need both perspectives. Otherwise, you, don't, you can't do a good job. Mm-hmm. Has that lack of women working in, in the sector or, or rather the dominance of, of men in that sector, has that ever been a problematic thing for you? Have you ever found that that was something that either made you rethink the path you were going on or did it make you more determined to succeed? What, what kind of effect did it have on you, particularly when you were first making your steps in the industry? So well, I mean, I haven't. I've always been interested in technology, and um, but I, I am a producer as well, and I like doing both. So I was lucky in that by the time I started to do more of the engineering things, I already had several years of production under my belt. So that gave me a kind of a USP because I was going in as the producer person who really was interested. And so, and I also find that I mean, you know, I'm. I, I'm doing a lot of work in technology because of men who are very encouraging. So I think in any, it depends where you're working and what the job is. I find when I've done bits of sound engineering, so I used to do sound engineering at festivals and stuff, that there is a lot more overt sexism there. I think in broadcast engineering, it's quite a small industry and the people who do it are pretty good. So they're confident and they're, they're, they've got secure self-esteem. <laughs> so they don't, there isn't so much of a need to be protective of the knowledge and you can tell the people who aren't good because they hide that they won't tell people stuff they hide information and they're very insecure mm-hmm. and defensive whereas the people who are good at what they do are confident and they're happy to share and to tell you so i think a lot of the broadcast engineers i've worked with have been very good i have had issues where there have been jobs where there's been like in the project management world there's more project managers, so there's more averageness. So some of the project managers were amazing and some of them were less amazing. And I found that that was a hard environment to be in a lot of the time. Not because of any individual, but because you can imagine if there's 150 men and one woman, well, if it was the other way around, I imagine that would be quite intimidating as well. If you only had 150 women, you'd be like, okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I don't let it intimidate me at all. And what, the other thing it does is that it makes you stick out, which can be good and can be bad. So you really do have to work twice as hard, I think, because you're very exposed. Mm. If yeah. You, if you're the only woman, in a, you know, then people are looking at what you're doing. Yeah, and I definitely, yeah. when I first went into that infrastructure job, I think it was about a year before anybody, you know, kind of took me seriously. Really? Yeah, even though well, I've been saying, <laughs> I think it was perfectly sensible, but yeah, it took a long time. And, but yeah, by the end it was kind of like, well, you know. Yeah. So you, um, do you say that some kind of girls wouldn't go into it because they might be a bit scared of getting stuff wrong, but do you think, um, I think you actually briefly touched on this, but... Do you think they're kind of aware of all the roles? And if not, what, what can be done to kind of get more girls into all the kind of STEM subjects, I guess? What role can schools play? Or, or what do you think? Yes. How, how do we change this? There's quite a lot of stuff there. I think, um, obviously, I'm coming at this more from a, from a radio perspective, so this will be different in different parts of the sound industry. Um, I think that technology and engineering have got a bit of an image problem, full stop. 
So there is a recruitment issue in broadcast engineering in this country and globally anyway, because the 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted a kind of cool and glamorous sounding, I mean, we all know it's not because it's hard work, but if you wanted a cool and glamorous sounding thing, then television or radio was kind of the place to be. So if you liked technology, then TV and radio was like, oh, yeah, this is great. And now, of course, you've got all the development with um, digital technology and the apps world and all. So if you're kind of tech curious and you want to do a media sort of job that you think might be exciting, a lot of people are now are going to be wanting to go to Facebook or Google rather than necessarily ITV. So there is a shortage full stop. Um, in terms of the job, I think that it is very broad. There are lots of different roles within it. And again, within our industry, we've got a problem that a lot of even the management don't really understand basic things. So you talk to a lot of people who are in charge of strategy and of looking at organisations and maybe planning training needs, and they can't tell they can't tell you the difference between a sound engineer and a broadcast engineer. Now that should be as embarrassing as not knowing the difference between um, a, a music producer and a speech producer, or a television reporter and a an online journalist. I mean. There's lots of overlap, but you know, you know what I mean. This isn't a this isn't a kind of a really in-depth technical thing. This is quite a fundamental basic that people don't know, and because they don't know, they feel scared and defensive, and then they start sort of pretending that either technology is too difficult or it's really sad and tragic, and it's not for them. So there is a kind of which, of course, is incorrect because it's very exciting <laughs> world to be in. So there's the image problem to start with, and then there's the girls getting into technology thing. And I think that, um, so a very long time ago, I was involved with coordinating some stuff for Take Our Daughters to Work. And the research back then was that girls and young women make decisions about their future career stuff much earlier than we do work experience at. So they really are making decisions at around 11 or 12, okay. rather than 14, 15. And also girls and young women do jobs that they can see is the general sort of feeling. So boys might think, oh, I like I like doing, I like studying maths and I like doing this and I like doing that. And someone will say, well, this job might match. And mm -hmm. they go, oh, well, I'll try, I'll try that. Or I'll look at that for university. Yeah. Whereas girls can see doctors, they can see people who drive buses, they can see people who work in shops, they can see television presenters, but they can't see a research scientist they can't see a broadcast engineer. Yeah. Because that, that you know, unless you happen to have a family member who does that, yes. you, it's not been part of your experience. So there is something there as well about being better at allowing people to have hands-on opportunities and hands-on glimpses into that world. And having and like an mentors early, and early stuff, age. Yeah. yeah, okay, so 11 so, or 12, yeah. Yeah, much earlier than a lot of our work is... Is being done because the BBC have quite a few schemes and apprenticeships like that yeah. well they have done certainly in the yeah and I think that's really good because the industry was having a shortage and the BBC and um, also in conjunction with other broadcasters have now brought back in a lot of the training schemes so there's some that are kind of post 16 there's some that are post 18 there are some postgraduate and the really good thing about those is that you are paid so yeah. it's not mega bucks but you know, it's a really attractive option to be paid to do your degree and your training and also get some right experience at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I certainly I've seen more women coming out of that than than I than yeah, than I would have yeah. We've had on to now. So yeah, there are some great opportunities out there. It's just getting people to know that they exist. Yeah, exactly. 
Do you think as well, I mean, this is moving um, more generally speaking um, about entry level uh, to, to, to professional audio industry. Um, you speak about apprenticeships that actually pay and, and things like that. Do you think that there's a class barrier as well in, in this world where there maybe whether it's middle classes or people that are more financially well off or from financially well-off uh, backgrounds, are, are they becoming more exclusive in this, in this world and, and we're lacking opportunities for people from different backgrounds to those because they can't afford to maybe do these apprenticeships or internships with no kind of financial uh, support or backing? Yeah, so the good thing about the apprenticeships is that, that those are paid. Um, yeah, absolutely, and this has troubled me since I was a teenager doing the same thing. I'm very blessed that I've got wonderfully supportive parents who were happy to let me stay at, at home for a, for that year and I was able to work for free for a long time to get my experience and, and also when you're starting out, certainly in production, I mean, technology, the, the money is a bit better but it's more, you know, megabucks. Um, when, when that's going on, you, you need to be able... To, we, it's not right that the industry is just relying on free free stuff for you to get your break. I don't mind people doing a little bit of free stuff alongside other... I think that's fine. If you've got no skills at all and you want to go and shadow someone and you want to pick some stuff up and, of course, now you've got things like podcasting so you've got, you've got opportunities to do things that you hadn't before. But I think when people are having to work for free for a year before they're getting a, a chance at something, that's not right. We weren't financially well off as a family... But I had very supportive parents and we were able to do that. And I think broadcast, good programmes, good business require people from many different backgrounds and perspectives. Otherwise, we get this bubble. It does seem and to be... It's not... Yeah, we absolutely need to be making sure that we... We're talking about women here, but we need to be talking about diversity in terms of race and of wealth background or not, class background, disability, all of those things. Because the more diverse your team, the more money you make and the better programmes you make. It, it does seem to be something that's prevalent as well, not just in the audio industry. You know, we, we need to stress it's very much in, in the world of media and you know, music and journalism or, or whatever. There's, um, there is a huge issue with that. And on top of that, we have the London issue. So London is becoming, or has become unaffordable. Mm. So I, for example, I, I was able to be here in my 20s I'd love to be back here again. I'm not quite sure how to do it. And I'm not starting out and being paid £6.50 an hour anymore. Mm. You know, and so, yeah, of course, London's got a lot going on and there's, there's good reason for a lot of programmes to be based here. But if you need your staff to be in London, you can't be paying them £25. Grand. Mm. And that's not just a media thing. Obviously, that goes for, that goes for doctors and nurses and everyone else yeah, as well. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, like, it's, and it's the South East as a whole. We have this skew. So what kind of tips would you give? I mean, <laughs> to someone so who's starting out there? If you still want to work in this industry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great industry, of course. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> really good. <laughs> no, it is. I mean, it is wonderful. It is a wonderful career to have. And I'm very lucky because I think being able to do something that you really love is the... It's the golden ticket, isn't it? That's that's, that's the point. So, what, what have been some of your career highlights today? Oh, um, which one do you always do first? Well, <laughs> I've been trying to make it sound good, and then we're going to play the tips. Right, yes, okay, let's yeah. get it back. <laughs> let's, yeah, let's, sorry, let's do that. <laughs> um, so, what, career highlights? Um, okay, so 
Well, I've, I've been able to do so many things. Um, I think I did probably one of the highlights would be I did a programme, a children's radio programme about children and death. And that got a lot of really good reaction from the audience. And um, we got a, a network repeat, which kind of never happens. And it was on pick of the year, which was, if you're a producer, being on pick of the year was kind of like... Yeah, that's cool. one of the really nice things. Um, obviously, being able to, to work internationally has been really good. Um, I last, I mean, you know, sort of, we, we joke about the fact that it's, it's a lot of the time you're doing spreadsheets, right? So it's not kind of the, or very long hours. <laughs> um, but you do get these odd moments when you're going, wow, is this really happening? So I genuinely did drink a bar dry of champagne when I was in Sydney, which is quite funny. Um, not just me, on my own, but it, it, it happened. And I was like, this is the sort of thing people think we're doing all the time. Um, I did also have an enormous insect while I was having a bucket shower in the remote region of South Sudan land on my bottom. Um, and I had a feeling that some of the insects around there were ones where if you brushed them off, they dissolved and gave you second degree burns. So I just had to wait because I wasn't sure what it was for it. And at that point I thought, yeah, this is, this is, this is the counterbalance to the glamorous stories. <laughs> it's the, it's I, definitely I now have a potentially deadly insect on my bottom and I've just got to stand here until it goes away. Um, so these are the two sides. The Oh, the two yeah, extremes of the two extremes, uh, yeah, either, either, yeah, yeah, with a lot of spreadsheets and late nights in the office in, in between. But yeah, um, in terms of if you're starting out, I think um, experience is more important than bits of paper. So bits of paper depends what country you're in. In some countries, you absolutely need the pieces of paper because you, you can't get in the door without them because there's no sort of work experience and shadowing anymore. But, um, so do what you want to do, but get some experience because it's much easier. If you think about an employer who's looking for hiring someone for the job and you've got someone who's like, well, I've studied the theory of how journalism might possibly happen versus someone who's gone, well, I've set up my own news-based podcast or I've been working on the student radio station or, you know, I've, I've been out and recorded these items. That's always going to, that's always going to be a better option because that's someone that you know can start work. So yeah, get whatever experience you can. Um, volunteer where you can, you know, if, you, if there is a, um, a student radio station or a community station, something like that you can get involved with, but obviously while still earning the money that you need to earn to keep, your, <laughs> keep the rest of your life together. Um, and then probably have, have some limits on how long you're, you're doing that. So kind of say, yeah, I'm prepared to do, I'm prepared to help out uh, you know, as many hours as they want at the community station because that's good for the community and that's I'm happy to do that or I'm going to do this for a year and then I really need to be finding some paperwork. You know, have, have, some, have some limits in your own mind about how long that situation is going on so that you, you're both feeling happy about that. Um, yeah, and just be, be curious. Try out lots of things. So go in, even if you think you want to do programme making, and programme making is wonderful, make friends with your engineers go and shadow them go and get in touch with them go and find out what it is they do because you cannot make good programs unless you understand technology and i don't think you can be a good technologist unless you understand the program process so don't just think oh that's not my job ever always always be curious and have a go at other stuff because you never know you never know what crazy things you might end up doing with a weird and wonderful combination of things you've been to and always be always be nice um, it's a pretty nice industry, actually. People are pretty lovely to each other most of the time, but um, 
that means that there's even less room for people who aren't. So, yeah. Mm. yeah. Cool. Um, so, <laughs> what, what's next for you then? <laughs> uh, so, I've got a whole run of work with my main client, and I also should be going to the Radio Days conference in Vienna in March. Uh, I think I'm going to be, I think they've got a bit about women in, in radio session going on there, so I think I might have been roped into running something for that. Um, and then yeah lots of lots of interesting client work always available for interesting pieces of work and then I also run Radio Techcon um, I'm one of the organisers of that which is the UK Radio Industries Audio um, and Technical Conference Technical and Engineering Conference which happens in November uh, that is in London but that takes an extraordinary amount of time around the edges of all the other work so <laughs> it's oh. quite a good even if I do say so myself it's quite a good day so yeah great okay cool uh, I think that's all we have time for. <laughs> Thank Thanks for much. coming in, Anne. Thank you very much. Thank you.